0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: Hey friends, welcome to an emergency episode of the Tennis and Vagals podcast. We got some breaking news today, which was that Novak Djokovic, who flew into Australia under the assumption that he was going to play the Australian Open. He had been granted a medical um, exemption from the vaccine. He, When he got into Australia, the Australian border force deemed that that was illegitimate, and he has been told to go home. This is a big piece of information. And with me here today, I have my good friend, Fonch. Fonch, uh, what do you think?
0: Yeah, it's uh, quite the situation. I've honestly never seen anything like this. Um, and we've been through so many majors, and we've covered so many tennis events, but nothing like this. I mean, what a time we're living in. Um, But if we could just go back to just sort of giving a little bit more background on the situation. Um, Yesterday, we learned that uh, Djokovic uh, was cleared by Tennis Australia. Uh, It was cleared by Tennis Australia. There was was a procedure involved uh, which granted him um, exemption, which granted him an exemption as he revealed on his Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Um, and, and this
1: was, this was a pretty thorough procedure <clears throat> as well. Like it had to mm-hmm. go through a couple of different panels. There were experts and um, the people reviewing the form didn't even know whose form it was. So, right. um, so like this, this section, like there couldn't have been corruption
0: here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There were a, a lot of, um, you know, I guess false conspiracies and things floating around saying that this, yeah, you know, but I think once we look at the process, I think we we could see that it was all uh completely legitimate and not something that I think you'd want to compromise, especially for public health mm-hmm. reasons. And um yeah, I feel like there were all you know there were all different kinds of doctors on those boards from yeah. immunologists and cardi- Yeah, and like you said, it was a prime procedure. So they did not know of Djokovic's name or his where um his document, like they did not know his identity or any anything about him.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I think that. I think the only area where this <clears throat> process could have been fudged is if the document that listed his condition, if he had somehow gotten a doctor to fudge that for him. But, you know, there's mm-hmm. no evidence, like before it was given to the Australian panels, but there's no evidence of this. It's all conjecture. So we can, all we can do is really trust the process here. So he got this medical exemption. And I mean, the twist that came was that one of the criteria in that Tennis Australia and the Victoria health board, I think, um, had listed, it was one of the ways people could get a medical exemption was if they had caught COVID in the past six months. Um, and I think one of the officials even said that most of the people, she couldn't speak to individuals, but most of the people playing the Australian open on a medical exemption, that was the reason why, uh, because of that criteria. But when, um, you know, when the news broke today, um, there was, I I think, I think it was the age that said, um, you know, multiple, multiple times tennis Australia had been told, like, that's actually not a valid reason to get a medical exemption. And yet they, they didn't do anything about it. Um, they had players believe that it was a way they could become exempt. And I, um, and I mean, we still don't know for sure why Djokovic did get the medical exemption in the first place, but I think, um, I think, I think it's, a reasonably safe assumption to say that you know it was that and now and that was the reason that got you know overturned i guess
0: yeah um you know that was the only looking at the list of the medical uh, exemptions uh that was provided by the atagi uh, mm-hmm. yesterday uh the australian government department of health uh it seemed like that would be the only sort of plausible reasonable mm-hmm. sort of exemption that crossed my mind first mm-hmm. um you know no, knowing the what we know. Uh, it just kind of seems because <clears throat> the if you look at the other um exemptions, there's usually like they describe an acute medical condition, mm-hmm. you know, which is usually for like if you have undergone a major surgery or you know, you have a serious illness of some kind. And I have heard uh, uh of people getting I haven't heard too many people getting uh allergic reactions to the vaccine. I've heard that's quite rare mm-hmm. uh, in most most situations. And uh, The other reasons are just like if you're just at a if it's like a you can prove with concrete evidence that it's like a risk to yourself and uh, and others to get the vaccine, Mm -hmm. which doesn't seem very likely in his case either. So I feel like, and we already know he got COVID in June of 2020. Yeah. So if he caught it again in the last six months, it you know since he was on the tour playing all this time, it, Mm -hmm. it would it would really it would just be speculation. But I would. Assume it would have to have been sort of after Davis Cup was over.
1: Yeah, I mean, th- th- there was a photo now. that surfaced last month, I think, right, of him next to a basketball player at an indoor right. event, both unmasked, and then that basketball player tested positive yes. for COVID. Right, so you know, it's um, very possible <clears throat> he could have caught it that way or another way. Um, I don't think his attitude towards the pandemic was ever, "I'm going to do my absolute best not to catch it." Um, right. So, yeah, I think it could have happened to him at any any number of times, and. And yeah, the um, the Victorian government. I'm quoting from this article from from the Age that was written by um, Anthony Galloway. There's this mm-hmm. paragraph that says, um, "Just going to scroll up to find it." Uh, the Victorian government is insistent that there was advice from the ATAGI suggesting that contra- contracting the virus in the past six months is a valid reason for not being vaccinated. But federal sources say that ATAGI did not endorse the process that the Victorian government or tennis Australia put in place. And it was never engaged. So, I mean, I think this part is on these Australian organizations for not yeah. being in concert. That That's a complete disconnect when, you know, these, you have these players coming in from all over the world. You're trying to contain COVID the best you can. I mean, for these not to have the same policies or not to be in sync, I think it's crazy. Um, it's remarkable to me that they didn't have everything in order um, that one organization okay to player coming in and another one can essentially override them because they weren't on the same page about this thing. And to be clear, Djokovic is also at fault here. He had all the time in the world to get vaccinated if he wanted to. Um, there's no mm-hmm. reason for him not to um, in like the first six months of the year, um, but he didn't. And so I, I guess how I feel is like in a way he brought all of this on himself, but at the same time, to be told essentially that he would be able to play to make the flight over, have to stay 12 hours at the airport to be like guarded in a room. And, um, and this is not unique to Djokovic. Like some people when they have issues with their visa have had to do that as well. Like many people on Twitter today were saying that, but then to be told that he can't play, like that's, <coughs> that's not ideal. I'm sure if he knew what was going to happen, he would have much rather not gotten the exemption in the first place.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, the issue that, Flared up today was likely an immigration issue, you know, something that I think, uh, you know, ordinary citizens like you or me would have to deal with when going to another yeah. country. And so, uh, uh, you know, for him to not have that clearance today uh, was really surprising to me, just because, you know, we, we learned yesterday that he was already cleared sort of medically by the procedure that Tennis Australia and the Victorian state government had. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's unclear to me what sort of, You know, what was the documentation or proof needed that would have sufficed today uh, for his entry? Um, That I think we're still waiting to hear. Yeah, I think the
1: frustrating thing for me about this is that so many things are unclear. I mean, we've said we've just speculated that the reason he didn't get in was because of this six months rule um, that Mm -hmm. Tennis Australia and the ATAGI weren't on the same page about. But we don't know for sure. He was never clear about why he needed a medical exemption or wanted a medical exemption. Um, right. There's been this subplot that the reason he couldn't get in was because his team applied for the wrong visa and that he got the medical exemption, but that the visa he traveled on didn't reflect that he had a medical exemption. And that, that was the reason he couldn't get in. Um, like, we don't really know much of anything for sure. Um, and so we kind of have to guess. And it's frustrating because, you know, this is a huge story. This is the world number one, 20-time major champion going for his 21st. He was the big favorite of this tournament. Now it looks like he's not going to play um it seems like he's been told to fly back tonight and his lawyers are appealing this process we've seen on twitter but we don't know if that's going to work um like i have no idea how that process would go i don't think he would have time or maybe even want to like go back to serbia try to get another medical exemption and then fly back over to play yeah it's it's just a lot and none of it is that clear
0: yeah i completely agree and the thing is that um you know, there were also other players who got exemptions mm-hmm. and are in Australia. Um, so, you know, my my thing would just be just a little bit more transparency is probably needed as to yeah. sort of why Novak's situation is completely different in right. terms of, you know, in terms of what makes him different from those handful. I think we learned yesterday that there were 26 people that 26 players of this huge pool of around 300 that applied for this exemption. And I guess most of the ones that were approved were on the basis of that uh, rule that we talked about yeah. earlier about getting uh, catching COVID in the last six months. Yeah. So how did so they get that? And then Novak didn't. Yeah. yeah. And so what now happens to those players, you know, or right. you know, because then is that fair? You know, yesterday the conversation was, is he getting preferential treatment and is he getting, um, you know, is he getting? It, it, people were sort of saying that it reeks of, you know, Favoritism and right. things like that, because yesterday the examples that we had in mind were the Russian player, for example, who was vaccinated,
1: but it wasn't an uh, Australian-approved vaccine yet. So right. right, it was yeah. the Sputnik,
0: yeah. uh, and then he also had an Indian player, who um, who is uh, under eighteen and he's in juniors, and he was ineligible to get the vaccine because mm-hmm. in India you have to be over eighteen to get right. it, and he was ineligible at the time. So, and then you, then people in Australia were extremely, you know, obviously. I guess, for lack of a better word, pissed off about um, yeah. this this happening because here they were in Victoria, you know, locked down last year for over 300 days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of them not able to see their family, not even able to go to the grocery store, but then move around without that much freedom because, I mean, Australia has done such a great job, right? Like protecting the, containing the virus. And at one yeah. point they had zero COVID cases last year. So you can absolutely understand the frustration from the Australian citizen's point of view. Yeah. And then for Djokovic, you know, he was just misled, you know, thinking and he and his team, you know, and we all thought, you know, you know, it's official. He's he's been he's in,
1: you know. Yeah, it's really what it seems like. Yeah. And and like you said, um, <laughs> yesterday, the discussion was about preferential treatment. And now another area of yeah. kind of with another lack of clarity is like, why did these other people get in and he didn't? It's, right. I think it's either because of the visa, like apparently his team messed that up. So I, I think one possibility is like it's that. And the other players applied for the correct visa. And that's why they got in without a hitch or Djokovic by posting on social media, everyone found out what was going on, pissed off the Australian public that drew a ton of attention to the fact that he was coming in with this situation. And then the Australian government felt pressure to kind of keep him out in order to placate
0: the citizens. Um, And again, I don't know which one it is. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it seems like there's a lot of interplay and politics at play so that, you know, I mean, that's what you have to go with when there's not when there's this uh, subjectivity around it, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the visa thing, I think to me, I always thought that was more of sort of an administrative sort of role. Like, yeah. you know, if a regular citizen, you know, doesn't have the right visa, I, you know, I struggle to think like that would be like these, you know, that would be the reason as to like, okay, bam, like you're definitely not going to, you know, yeah. like there's no sort of workaround or loophole around that at that point. that is hard to imagine as
1: well yeah um I mean I I know travel you know there are a a bunch of documents you got to fill out and everything and even more so during the pandemic but like you said it is hard to imagine that this is the one thing that kept him out and to get like I'm not a travel expert there's nothing to suggest that like this didn't actually happen I I mean some people have said that the entire visa story is BS, and that just didn't happen. I'm like, there's nothing to suggest that that was the case, like yeah. um, concretely. So I don't feel comfortable making that assertion. Um, and yeah. I mean, another thing people are talking about now is what's going to be the fallout from this. Is some people are saying Djokovic is never going to play in Australia again, and yeah, it, and I mean, it's possible. You know, he's he's probably fuming right now that he thought he was going to get to play and said he flies over gets detained at the airport for 12 hours and then is getting sent back. I mean he's I think he's at a hotel quarantining right now, but right. if if the appeal doesn't go through in hours he's going to be flying back. Um like that's a horrible. That's a terrible situation. He's probably miserable. Um is he going to be able to forgive Australia and these organizations for the disconnects? Is he going to be willing to get vaccinated? so that he can play next year. Um, I don't know. And then the other pressing
0: thing is, what about the other majors, you know, that follow suit? Because it's quite likely, I mean, looking at the, you know, looking at the French uh, prime minister's words, Mm -hmm. that it's, uh, you know, it's going to be mandatory in France as well. And then moving forward, the other majors and the other big tournaments. So Djokovic is going to have to make a really big decision here. You know, it's sort of, you know, is he going to want to go through all of this hassle again? and right. try to apply for another medical exemption and sort of do a workaround of the rules? Mm-hmm. Um, or is he going to be you know willing to sort of change his approach to how he sees the yeah. vaccine? And you know, I, I guess that would, be the, that would be the advisable thing to do. Yeah, right?
1: that would be by far the simpler option. But the problem is that is not how Novak Djokovic operates. I mean, I'm, I've pictured someone on his team telling him like, Novak, I know this is what you believe. I know you don't want to put something in your body. I know you don't want to be made to put something in your body. But if you don't do this, you are not going to get to play these big tournaments. It, it might compromise your entire legacy. Like, right. see the light, man, and just stick this needle in your arm, and all of this will go away. And I still don't know if he would do it. Like, this is not the way he... Like, It's so fitting that this is what he has to deal with now. Like, it's never been about losing the close matches to his opponent no. for him. It's always stuff that he does to himself that creates his biggest problems. You know, it's the missed overheads on court or getting defaulted at the U S open or being careless, um, in press conferences, um, and now not wanting to get vaccinated, which could have avoided all of this. Um, it's all him. He can't get out of his own way. Um, I mean, and it's, it's fascinating because he's on court mentally. He's perfect at this point. You know, he does everything right, but, at the same time, he has these self defeating qualities, and like i said it's it's fascinating the duality of this, but it's also kind of heartbreaking you know like it's all there for him like it's there if he wants it, like all of these all of these titles he could i mean I think he's already the greatest of all time, but he could make it clear to everyone out there this year, and he just can't get out of his own way
0: yeah i i mean it, it's frustrating because also the you know the more evidence you provide, I feel like the less you know, when you state when you go on your Instagram and your Twitter and you state the word exemptions, you know, yeah, it, it was clear that he was going to get a lot of backlash from that. Yeah. Like it was, you know, it was like, it, you know, either he was going to not mention that and just or not post, and then just mm-hmm. you know just show up to Australia and just sort of just go through the process normally, you know, and without any fuss or anything like you know without any announcement, major announcement of any kind, mm-hmm. which is what I originally thought he was going to do, to be honest, because the longer the time went on uh, during the off season, you almost felt like if he had been vaccinated, he would have announced it by now.
1: Yeah. I I didn't think he was going to play at all, to be honest. Everyone in the previous months on Twitter were convinced that he was vaccinated, um, and that he was going to play. And all of this was just kind of toying with the media. It's like, I don't really know, you know, like, I think it, it, something just seems a little bit off. Like, I don't know if it's his style to get vaccinated and then just go and not really talk about it. Um, Yeah. I mean, even though he talked about wanting to keep, keep it hidden, like something just seemed a little bit off. And, and you mentioned that statement he put on social media. I mean, I think that statement kind of encapsulated him in a way like, yeah, you had that line about the medical exemption, but most of that message was like, you know, peace and love to all happy new year. And it's like, I get it. Novak, you're not a bad guy. You're just careless. <laughs> like it's, it's these little things that you do that cause a world of trouble. Like you're not mean, you're not a bad person everyone should know that but like these these little slip-ups you have cause so many problems and, 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 and just yeah.
0: the tone of that uh came across really badly to the yeah to the australian public because it's like they're not there's no love peace happiness for them right yeah now. exactly point, you know? <laughs> yeah
1: it's, so. i mean it's suffering right like they've been locked down for a long time and um And I mean, I get it. It would be so frustrating to be, you know, strictly following COVID guidelines for two years now, almost two years. And then you have a guy who has a history of vaccine skepticism, a history of pseudoscientific beliefs. He goes, you know, I want to come into your country and play this tournament for two weeks unvaccinated. So I'm going to apply for a medical exemption. And then on social media, you see, I got the medical exemption. And I mean, if, if that were me, I'd be pissed. Like, a, a lot of yeah. them are pissed. It, it makes sense. It's hard mm-hmm. to argue with.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the general vaccine skepticism that he, that he has had for the last two years, I mean, he's been sort of vocally opposed to it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, I think it just goes back to his general lifestyle and just views on science, you know, at this point, right. if you remember, I think three years ago, um, I mean, he was heartbroken when he had to finally have surgery on his elbow. Yeah. And He, he cried for like three days straight.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He he even put that surgery off, right? Because he had faith in that his body would just heal itself, um, natural healing, right? Yeah, and it's like we we know that's not how things work, but mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't know that, and he's not going to change. And yeah, it, I think that these beliefs he had, like I don't think they're the reason he didn't get in, but yeah. I think they contributed to it. Like I think the Australian public became aware of this, and that kind of built up into the public backlash, which might have contributed to getting the government to be more inclined to keeping him out unless he had a really good reason to come in like and again it doesn't seem direct it it kind of reminds me of like like with the titanic you know how they didn't have enough lifeboats to fit everyone
0: i do remember that yeah
1: like like that that wasn't the reason that so many people died you know like if they'd seen the iceberg and seared away from it they would have been fine but once that happened the lack of life votes was a reason that a bunch of people died um and you know it's a morbid analogy but it like that kind of reminds it me makes it makes sense. Sense of like Djokovic's history with these comments. Like, yeah, they, they weren't like his, um, hit, like his death knell or anything, but I do think they were a reason that this mm-hmm. all ended up shaking out the way it did.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you know, some people might scoff, but I feel like it's worth noting that a lot of those ideologies and sort of unconventional methods that he's had over the years, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be his diet or just his meditation, rehabilitation, or just, you know, just his holistic approach to life. Like those things, you know, he believes and, you know, many people around him. And, you know, I guess we can see the evidence of the last 10, 12 years. I I feel like it's really helped him on the court. It has. Yeah. But I think that philosophy of life also has bled into these other areas like vaccination Mm -hmm. and pseudoscience, which is so harmful because also with the political climate that we lived in now, you know, I feel like, you know, he's become sort of the poster boy for anti-vaccination and sort of like he's the, he's like the figure for that cult group in a way. And I feel like that's so unfortunate because you don't want to be remembered. He doesn't want himself, yeah. uh, you know, nor would the tennis world because he's such a great player, you know, on the right. court. And
1: and the thing is, like, I don't even know if he is staunchly anti-vax. I think he's vaccine hesitant. I think he's anti-mandate. But exactly. he's never said anything where he's like, I don't think people should get the vaccine. And yet anti-vax groups are using him as like a figurehead now. And yeah. he's said nothing to like... Not get them to
0: do that, and um, yeah, and you know, I also think he's he's an open-minded person. Like, I don't think yeah. you know, I don't think he's unreasonable in any, in any sense. I feel like if he has the right people around him, that sort of hold him accountable for this, mm-hmm. and also you know, explain to him calmly, like you know, I, you know, Novak, I fully understand that you believe in these sort of principles. Yeah, but look at what it's doing to you. You know, look at yeah. what it's you know, look at look at the effect that it, that it has on so many people, like who who endorse your opinions, you know, and use you as like the, the figurehead, yeah. like you were saying, and so. I feel like, you know, as long as I feel like if there's people in his team that hold him, him accountable, I feel like that's mm-hmm. where it starts. Yeah. Because otherwise it, it's a it's a deeply embedded view that I feel like is it's not really going to change over
1: time. I, I agree. And I want to take a moment to expand on the point you made about these beliefs he has helping him on court. It's this insane contradiction. And I think that this point really needs to be made. Do not look to athletes for political or for a political, social, or educational example. Like, mm-hmm. these people are not, often not fully educated. To dominate in the athletic world, you need to have a mindset so tightly tailored to that that just doesn't really translate to other areas of life. And this is why the best athletes are arrogant, they delude themselves, stuff like this. And this this helps them on court. I mean, this is a very benign example, but you remember... um, that Wimbledon final Djokovic telling everyone, you know, when the crowds chant Roger, I hear Novak. And Mm. I I personally didn't think much of that, but a lot of people were like, wow, this is so sad. It's pathetic, you know? And it's like, um, but he was able to convince himself of that and it worked. Um, but at the same time, like being so certain of yourself means that when you believe something that is wrong, you're not going to be able to learn from it. You're not going to be able to grow. And stop believing the thing that is wrong and start believing the thing that is right and so when you have this fan base and look this is not all Djokovic fans I don't even know if it's most Djokovic fans but it has a very cult-like section that look to Djokovic like he's god and they defend everything he does and they don't admit that they're wrong and so when you see Djokovic doing these things you get people saying like oh yeah, you shouldn't have to take the vaccine if you don't want to. Like, it should be a personal choice. It's like, no, that's not right. It shouldn't be a personal choice. Like, getting the vaccine helps other people. Like, everyone should get it. Um, but they look to him. He's not a medical expert, but they look to him for medical advice. And, and so the point I'm trying to make here is, like, stop looking to athletes to be your medical experts, to be a social example, to be a political example.
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com
1: slash people today. And this doesn't mean that they can't be right about these things, but, you know, like... Look like when you look at Djokovic, if you want to copy something, copy his backhands. Don't copy his beliefs about water, magic water. Um don't do that. Like look to look to actual scientists for that sort of thing, please, because this this is really damaging in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, that's really well said, honestly. And you know what, you know, I think Djokovic is an incredible player on the court. Yeah. He he deserves all the accolades and all the success he's had, but he also shoots himself in the foot, right? Yeah. And, it, and you know, we can all agree that a lot of this really could have been avoided and it really shouldn't have come to this. So, you you know, I I guess the tennis world, you know, we we, it's a big story now and it will continue Mm -hmm. to be a big story and we'll have further developments. And I I guess to now you just have to say it's, it's his life and it's his choices and, you know, tennis will will just continue and a champion will be crowned at the Australian Open Games, sets and matches will be played, you know? And so I, I guess on we go. And so with that, I guess, you know, how does this change things now in terms of the men's favorites for the Australian open? Because, right. um, you know, I think Daniel Medvedev now becomes the favorite. I,
1: I think so too. And I mean, I wrote a piece a few days ago before we knew that Djokovic wasn't going to play that basically said, like, even with Djokovic playing, um, I think Medvedev like it's title or bust for this guy. He's, like he's he's a mature player. He's experienced so much. Like he, he has a major title, he has four masters one thousands titles. Um, he has a world's tour finals title, he's lost major finals and in different ways. He lost a really tight, physically exhausting heartbreaker to Nadal. He got destroyed by Djokovic. You know, these are experiences that you learn from that take years to have, but that you learn from, they make you more complete as a player. And I feel like he's not missing any of these crucial lessons anymore. I feel like he knows what he has to do. Um, doesn't mean he will win, but I think he's very well
0: positioned to win. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, obviously the recent hardcore success the last three years really yeah. would, would indicate as such, I guess, potential roadblocks in his way maybe. You know, I guess, you know, he's had a long season last year, you know, yeah. obviously achieved, you know, achieved the U.S. Open title and then, um, you know, had a strong finish to the end of the year, two finals at the end. Uh, yeah, one okay. davis cup uh, i guess in some senses people are you know fans of his or i guess just general followers are probably just a little bit concerned that he perhaps the season was too long for him and maybe he didn't quite get the appropriate amount of rest training or you know just reset that you you would need right and i right. guess when he played the atp cup you know the first match against ugo and you know he was not quite at his best uh, yeah he was yeah. playing against a very tough opponent so there yeah. is a is a really tough. I, I think one of the more underrated opponents, you can really take your time away. You can use the angles. Mm-hmm. You can At Medvedev, I guess, in a lot of ways that, you know, uh, a lot of other players on the tour just can. Yeah. So I feel like it was a difficult matchup for him as well. And he definitely had his chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, physically, I do still have some, I guess, just some question marks because he's so efficient and he wins so easily most of the time. You know, he's usually done in straight sets or things.
1: And I mean, you forget yeah. that like he can start to cramp or start to vomit and it's stuff cramping like
0: that for me. And you know, that's yeah. to keep an eye on because yeah. it's like in the he heat of cramping. Australia, yeah, he was cramping at the end of the U S open, which he admitted in mm-hmm. the press. And yeah. a lot of that was nerves or, you know, mental, physical, but combination of all three, I guess. But it mm-hmm. is kind of interesting because I mean, apart from that U S open match against Rafa, which really went the distance. Yeah. I haven't seen him into any long matches, even the five setters that he won last year mm-hmm. against Kinovich, uh,
1: which he won th- six. Th- that. There's a big old fifth set, yeah. His um,
0: Chilich, which was you know similar, like it was yeah. last three sets were kind of a breeze. So yeah,
1: and on grass, you're not going to be playing too many long rallies anyway. I mean, his, his physicality is endlessly confusing to me because you have, you know, he cramps in a straight set match or something, and then you watch him at the World's Tour Finals, um, like in 2020, when not only does he beat the top three players in the world, but he tires them all out, like um, Rafa Djokovic team were all tired by the end of their matches with him, and he was fine. And so you watch him like that, and you're like, "Is this the fittest player in the world?" And then his first match of the season, he cramps and he vomits into a bucket. And it's like I don't think this is the fittest player in the world, uh, and it's very confusing. Um, in terms of rivals, I think, I mean, there's the obvious one to mention first is Zverev, and I think had the world's Tour Finals final not played out the way it had, he would be way less worried about Zverev, but you know, getting beaten in straight sets in a pretty flat match, I think won't create the most ideal mindset. Um, but I still think, I think he's won five out of the last six against him. He was on qu- quite a good streak against Varif before that match. So I still think if right. if their best matches up, Medvedev will come through. And then I think Rafa can usually work out some patterns to do well against Medvedev. I think in best of five. Medvedev is better positioned on a hard court to win that match for sure. But, you know, if Rafa has a peak performance, um, gets the slice going, is aggressive with his forehand, and doesn't have any physical issues, I think that could go either way. Although Medvedev again still the favorite. So I don't know. I think if Medvedev gets a tough draw, someone else could absolutely win. It's not like he's a Djokovic type favorite, but I really think this is his time.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, all good points. You know, I definitely think uh I, I definitely have Rafa as sort of the fourth the third favorite now um after yeah. Djokovic.
1: Yeah, I mean I mean I think some people will argue that it's tt foss and I'm I'm
0: still not convinced by him on a hard uh, court. I'm not convinced by him right now either. Um especially yeah. physically as well. I mean he just doesn't look right with the elbow. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, I, I it was a little bit of a little bit interesting actually because at the ATP Cup he was scheduled to play his first match against Hubert Hurkacz. Yeah. Um, and then there was just and you know, it seemed like everything was going well in the offseason and he had had the surgery and for sure, there was going to be complications and it's going to be hard coming back. But um, he was then wrapped in in ice uh, on the bench. And, yeah, uh, didn't play his first. That,
1: that didn't look good at all. Um, but then he had a pretty like intense three setter with Schwartzman, And even though he lost it, um, I mean, you know, the last two sets, 6-3, six, 6-3 three, six, three for Schwartzman, It looks straightforward. But, you know, the second set at least was really complicated with a lot of break points. Um, so I, I don't think that's a terrible result.
0: Yeah, I don't. I, I think that's a pretty decent uh, result from first match after surgery. Diego's a quality top fifteen uh, opponent. Yeah. He just looked like he got tired at the end, and uh, he probably hadn't served as much, uh, you know, that much in practice. And it just seemed like by the end, and Diego was played really well the last two sets.
1: Yeah.
0: So and then uh, and then it was a bit strange, sort of in the first match because he he then played the doubles, which I thought was uh, was right. was interesting because he was. Uh, he didn't play the singles, but then I think he he probably figured, you know, know, maybe less reps, maybe a little bit less, less at risk or something. Mm -hmm. But then in the press conference afterwards, um, it was him and sort of his dad and they were both sort of giving conflicting views. Like he was Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think it's, uh, he was talking about how the elbow is in really good shape and it's, he's been playing and he feels much better about it than he's ever felt. And then his dad was sort of scoffing, like, Oh, don't say that, you know, that sort of thing. (laughs) And then, and then, you know, and, and at the same time, he's, quite concerned and worried about it so there's yeah I guess questions will sort of just linger on about the the that kind of relationship between father and son right I mean it's really shocking
1: because as we know they're usually on the same page about everything Um, but yeah I mean honestly the reason I have Rafa above Tsitsipas in my hierarchy is like I feel like people don't remember that Tsitsipas actually hasn't done a ton on hardcore I mean at the Australian Open it's been a great tournament for him. He beat Rafa in five sets there last year. He's made the semifinals twice. But besides that, he has one Masters 1000 final on hard court. That was in 2018. And since then, he won the World Tour Finals in 2019, but honestly, I think that was a blip. Like I think his his return generally is not going to hold up on that surface against those players. And it was an amazing uh amazing week for him. I don't want to take anything away, but it kind of felt like I don't know. It would sort of feel like, um, you know, if Soderling had like won the French open during the Nadal era or something like that, Um, you know, like not, not undeserved or anything like that, but surprising and unlikely to happen again. Um, And so I think like, I still don't think he has things figured out. Like he doesn't have a good block return. He doesn't have a good backhand on the move really like the slice is not there. And so I just think if he comes up against a big server, it's it's not going to be good. I mean, um, the example that comes to mind is last year, after he beat Nadal, he came up against Medvedev in the semifinals. And I, I do want to say, like, he was tired. He had just played four hours. But he plays this match, and Medvedev wins 88% of his first serve points. And after the match, Tsitsipas says, this guy has a serve like John Esner. And it's like, I, I don't think he does. You know, <laughs> like, he's it's a good serve. It's really good. Top 10, top five in the world, but it's not an Ezner serve. Um and yeah, CC Foss just hasn't figured that part of his game.
0: I will say uh, to the counter of that is that during that time frame when he was red, red hot Medvedev, yeah. I looked at his stats on Tennis Abstract and he was serving better than a Prime John I'm not even joking, but I really? guess okay. from Paris Masters to then
1: mm-hmm.
0: he was like he was he was holding at a better rate than Prime Novak Djokovic. I mean he was returning at a better rate than Prime Novak Djokovic on serve. And he was okay. holding a better rate than John Isner. But I feel like those that sort of period is more of an outlier, you know, and it's yeah, sort of um, yeah, it, a little bit afterwards.
1: And those stats are also interesting because um it's not it's not just about the serve with the hold rate, it's also about how well you can back it up. And he's an infinitely better mover than Isner. Um, so that might have had something to do with it. But um, but I didn't know that. So I do, I do stand at least partially corrected on that front. Um and look, I would I would love to see Tsitsipas have a breakout at a hardcourt tournament. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. And, until I see it though, I'm just not going to be entirely convinced.
0: Yeah, no, I like the objectivity, especially because the those are his two main weaknesses, especially the return of serve and the the backhand on the move. And, you know, technically those are, those are sort of the areas that you'd point to, but I mm-hmm. still sort of think, you know, the second half of the year, it was not the real Tsitsipas just because of the injuries and stuff after the, I, after, I completely agree. Yeah. You no, know, especially with the, the, the elbow just wasn't right after the u.s open and he just didn't seem mentally in it especially in indian worlds when he was playing bazilash he was playing all passive and tight for some reason which is not really his game He's more of an aggressive well, all-court type player mm-hmm. and you know sort of at the end of the year I, I don't really consider those results really put too much that would that much weight into it like paris and vienna and atp finals i think um he did have those semi-finals at the end of uh after wimbledon yeah. and, and wimbledon by the way i mean his grandmother passed away and, and he didn't have the best preparation yeah so you could yeah sort of, and, you know,
1: I mean I, I think that that loss to Tiafo. um I mean Tiafo played great he was really really good but you know Foss coming off that French Open match just absolute heartbreaker and hearing that news about his family I think we can give him a pass on
0: that one yeah and then and then you know I just yeah so, so that's why I'm really interested I you know I, I that's why I sort of wish he was healthy because I feel like that would make this Australian Open a lot more interesting because he matches up yeah. a lot better um, you know, I may admit is a bad matchup on hardcore. There's no doubt yeah. about it. And there'll be other opponents on their day who can who can pick him off even in best of five. But um yeah, so we'll just have to see mm. because he's he's definitely he's definitely one of the players who's not at his fittest right now.
1: Yeah. Um, um he, he, yeah. here's a question. So I mean, besides, you know, these are gonna be I, I guess Nadal's not a top four seed because of Rublev is. Rublev is going to be the fourth seed at this Australian Open. Just wanna throw that out there.
0: No, I don't. Um, So that's why I think it's going to be a huge opportunity because, especially because Rublev being the fourth seed and then the third seed, Tsitsipas, like I feel like those two are susceptible to an upset in the first. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I I think this is a it's a great shot for someone to make for a first time semifinalist or maybe even a finalist
0: if you're Um, like a Felix or a Sinner or an Alcaraz. I mean, yeah, or or
1: an Alcaraz, and that was kind of what I was going to ask is like outside, you know, I'm like I can't say the top four because Rublev is there instead of Nadal, but outside of Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, and Nadal. Who do you think is the most likely player to cause, you know, like a big, um, I, I'm blanking on a word, um, to cause like a big shake shakeoff uh, for the men's Australian Open?
0: Yeah, you know, somebody who I think like if healthy, we'll just, we'll just sort of beat everyone he's supposed to and we'll just go, you know, we'll just go deep and could even make a semifinal and the final is Berrettini. Okay. I think he just has the game where, you know, if he's, if he's fully fit, you know, he he sort of has the offensive artillery, especially on a fast court, to sort of mm-hmm. hit through most of the guys. Um, uh, Yeah, but like physicality is a question with him as well, mm-hmm. you know, especially because he the way he went out sort of last year at the Australian Open, he was playing really well until he hit the fourth round. I remember he beat Hachinov in three tie breaks and that was a pretty good quality match. And yeah, then he was yeah. supposed to play Sitsipas, but then he withdrew because of an ab injury. Mm-hmm. In that, and that and start- you know,
1: I, I think Berrettini may well have won that match as well. Um, it's yeah, yeah, had a good pretty chance. good matchup for him
0: because, um, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, I think they've played twice him and Plus. One was at the Australian Open in 2019. That was the year where he had his breakthrough. I think that was a first round match and it was tight. It was like four sets.
1: I, I and, think I remember
0: highlights. Yeah. Yeah. And then once on clay, which you'd, you'd give the edge to Plus on clay, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, I mean, so that was, that was sort of an, an opportunity where, and I mean, if he does get past the quarters, I think he would be the only player born in the 90s to so have made the quarters of all four majors, which is insane. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, yeah. Baratini is a guy who, um, he's really surface versatile, and that that isn't really talked about that much. I mean, he has is, he is better surface versatility than Medvedev, uh, T. T. Foss, Rublov, yeah. Like, probably Zverev as well. <laughs> like, But no one talks about it because he makes quarterfinals and not semifinals. I mean, get that Wimbledon final. But yeah, I mean, last year, Australian Open fourth round, French Open quarterfinals, lost to Djokovic. Wimbledon final, lost to Djokovic. Uh, U.S. Open quarter finals, lost to Djokovic. Like, that is an excellent year, you know? And I, I don't really think people talked about it that much.
0: Yeah, no, it's a good point. Like, he, he was... He could have had an even better year, honestly, than he had, like, at finishing at number seven, because he also yeah. had in Wimbledon. So I feel like,
1: yeah. you know, he
0: could have been the number five or number four. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, it, it's kind of remarkable that he was injured in that Wimbledon final because he was up a set, And he was close to going up a break in the fourth set. Um, Like it, you know, I mean, I think after the second set, it was, there wasn't really a lot of doubt about who was going to win, but it wasn't that far away from being a close match. Like it was looking back on it, it was impressive the way he played in parts of that match.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then, you you know, you you asked about some other players. So, you know, on the Americans front, I do want to say Taylor Fritz is playing really well right now. Yeah, he is. You know, he's won six of his last eight matches against top 20 players. Mm-hmm. In the last three months, and some of those are like legit ones, like over oh, Vera. Zverev. And I mean, those are all in the best of three set matches. But uh, he's never been past the third round of the Australian Open. And with the way he's striking the ball right now, and how good technically his game is, apart from just athletic limitations and mobility limitations, um, you know, I feel like on his, I, I feel like with with this, with the right draw, like he could he could definitely get to the quarters or you know, second yeah. week. I think that's pretty reasonable, and I. You sort of see him as a player who's going to make a big jump this year because he's entering the prime of his career now and he's mm-hmm. um, and he's always had the goods, like, technically. Yeah. So uh, I he's another guy. Uh, yeah, him, I, 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 felt, I agree. I feel,
1: uh, I unlike, unlike a lot of the American men, Fritz seems to be one who's actually improving, <laughs> you know? I mean, you can put Brooksby and Corda in there as well, but and Tiafo, I think a lot of the American guys have just kind of been stagnant for their careers. Um,
0: Maybe, yeah. But yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. I mean, I think... Um, this pick won't surprise you, but I feel like, honestly, Alcaraz could do some really amazing things. Like, I mean, I've said that I think he's going to pass everyone in the world next year rankings-wise, except Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev, and Nadal. Like, I think he's a better player than everyone in the world except those guys. Like, and I could see him going past all of them. Um, I mean, of course, I'll end up eating my words when he loses in the first round at the Australian Open and then is injured for half the year. But I, I mean, I really think his serve is kind of the only, the only issue. He hits the ball so crisply; it's athletic. Uh, he does well at the net. Uh, he returns incredibly well. He's you know a top ten or maybe even a top five returner on the men's side. He's got good touch. Um, I mean, he had that horrible loss to Gaston on in Paris um, where he lost like 20 of 21 points or something like that. But you know, that that's a lesson that everyone needs to learn at some point, you know, no one is immune to choking. And I think since he learned that lesson this early in his career, maybe it won't happen to him next year um, and he'll learn from it. So I think I could see him in the semifinals. I mean, he'll, I think he will need a little bit of draw lock because he'll run into a top seed before then. But you know, like if he's in Rublev's section or something, I, I could see him doing incredibly well.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, and and then you, you sort of have your gatekeepers, right? You have your PCBs and RBAs of the world yeah. that you sort of need to cross if you want to win one of these majors, <laughs> yeah. third or fourth round. So, <laughs> you yeah, know, that's sort of the litmus test right now. Like when the big three are not playing, I feel like, I mean, especially RBA is sort of not in his, he's kind of getting out of his prime now, mm-hmm. he's a bit older, but like him and Diego Schwartzman yeah. and PCB, those are the three that I, guys that I look at. Like if you want to win a major, you got to pass those guys, especially yeah. Yeah, I, I think
1: that, that's a great, that's a great tier of players, kind of these, um, these veterans who aren't going to win a major, but who are going to make you have to work really hard to win a major.
0: That's um, a good, because I think that there's a misconception on, uh, in the tennis media, which I feel like is like, there's like 20 players, so that without the big three, they could have won a major. And I just don't yeah. think it's true, you know, because no, you, I, I don't uh, think
1: so either. Like, I don't think they have big enough games. Because
0: um, look at the players who have really only been affected by the big three, not winning slams. Andy Murray. Yeah. For one. Then you have like maybe a Tomas Bordich and like you're, you're, you of the world, really. Songa, maybe you could throw him in there. Yeah. I'm looking at players that have made multiple quarters in semis of majors and have just right. been stopped. Like Diego Schwartzman, he's a great player. He's going to, he's had a wonderful career, yeah,
1: but For one semifinal. Day.
0: Yeah. But one semifinal in his career. And same with RBA, one semifinal. Yeah. Same PCB. Okay. Two semifinals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those pairs were not really affected by the big three yeah exactly and and
1: if you look at the players who have kind of broken the strangleholds like you know Chilich once and Vavarenka three times i mean these are players who have all the firepower you could ask for and you look at rba pcb and schwartzman they're just a very different type of player. like i think that kind of game means consistency but it does not mean the blindingly high peak level that you need to win a major in this era or even in a different era so yeah, yeah I, I agree with you i don't think um I don't think either of them have necessarily been robbed in any way. Um, Maybe if a master's 1000, but I don't think of a major.
0: Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, just somebody who I am just going to see if he sort of holds up to his seed is Casper Rood. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, a major not getting to a fourth round or a quarter final would sort of be a bit of a disappointment because he's so, he's I think been so too. hard courts um, improvements wise uh, since last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, he's another guy. He's, um, He really has come a long
1: way on hard courts, but that hasn't manifested itself in the majors quite yet. So I agree that I'll definitely be looking for him to make a good run. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that
0: that that above does it really on the bench. Yeah.
1: That's kind of all I have. I mean, and um, you know, that, that was fun to talk about. It made me forget for a little bit, that you know, the best player of all time, a nine time champion probably isn't going to be taking part. So.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the obviously the second favorite has to be Zverev. You know, anytime yeah. we talk about him, we have to we have to mention the the allegations. Yes,
1: credible allegations that he um, really hasn't done anything to disprove. The
0: late articles by Ben Rothenberg and the the first piece as well, and you know the ATP investigation continues. But yeah. reality is he's playing the best tennis right now of his career, and he's won mm-hmm. four of the last seven tournaments, and he's won I think thirty four matches since Wimbledon and only lost four. So yeah. he's definitely. Uh, you know, a second favorite and a big contender for this title. So, and probably even more now since Djokovic is not in a yeah. section, I, I guess, you know, Medvedev won't have to go through him to get to the final. So right. that's... So he
1: can he can get there physically for us probably at least.
0: Yeah. Um. So, so yeah. I mean, we'll just... We'll see how the men's side unfolds, but definitely we saw last time what happened when Djokovic was not in a major at <laughs> the 2020 yeah, Open, and oh that was... God... Chaos. don't don't remind me of that match (laughs) yeah but but you know i think it's good this is going to be more exciting because i feel like we have a wealth of talent at least in the in in the top 10 now Mm -hmm. and they're all sort of 25 and under and they'll be be eager to make their breakthroughs and look the u.s open was a great tournament i mean we had it was before five setters, especially the first week on the men's side was was really good Mm -hmm. and of course you still have names that'll attract big stories like nadal not being in you know nadal not having won this tournament in 2009 yeah if he if he can just get healthy and work his way into form. I mean, mm-hmm. what a what an opportunity because now you know he we could have Djokovic winning Roland Garros last year for the second time and we could have right. we could have
1: yeah, you know, I, I
0: mean um, his way in the draw, obviously, because Medvedev and Zverev very tough. But
1: yeah, but but I, I mean yeah, you're right. I actually wrote like a 3000 word thing on Medal in the Australian Open like a few days ago. I'm waiting to release it because you know he's playing in other tournaments and it wouldn't really make sense to put it out now, but now the narrative has kind of switched a little bit because with Djokovic not here and I still don't think he's going to win, but he's got a much more realistic chance to win. And this is, this is the tournament that has eluded him for his entire career with the exception of 2009. He is is so much history here. He's played so well and yet he just has the one title. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch him because even though he's like, he um, doesn't do that well at the Australian Open in terms of titles, um, I think he usually plays well. He usually takes part in one of the best matches of the tournament. Um, so yeah, I can't wait. I I honestly have more fun watching him at the Australian than I do at Roland Garros.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, some of his matches at the Australian Open have just been like, like epic. You know, even matches that he's, he, he's lost. He's, he's been part of a great match. So
1: yeah. Uh,
0: so yeah, I think that, that about does it, I think for Australian Open men's chat and obviously we'll. Yeah. Rool- we'll keep updated on the Novak Djokovic story. Um, yeah. We'll,
1: we'll have a woman's preview at some point. Um,
0: yep. And we'll yeah. have another draw show. And I guess we'll, we'll also talk a little bit about, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll, we'll do another podcast basically. We're going to have more fun. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, there
1: will, there will be more podcasts. Yeah. I mean, I hope, I hope you got something out of this that you could um, kind of relate to us venting at some points that you learned something, maybe you didn't know about the story um, that, us talking about the other players maybe took your mind off Novak a little bit, but you know, I mean, I guess if I'm going to say anything is my last words for this episode, I think the Australian open is still an outstanding tournament. I think it's the best one of the year. Players are going to be fresh. You're going to get night matches um, with like the crowd's going to be into it. Players are going to be playing well. There's so many other storylines to follow. I think it's still going to be a great event. So don't, don't let this Djokovic story put you off.
0: Yeah. Well said. And with that, thank you. thank you, Owen, for joining me. Yeah, um, thanks. It was fun, and let's do this again. All right, sounds good. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.